Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lock Talk Radio. <laughs> Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And hello, this is Ted Hart, and you are live here on The Nonprofit Coach. Today is Tuesday, May 3rd, and here on The Nonprofit Coach today, I want to remind you that you can call in and ask a question of our page two expert uh, today, who is Kent Stroman, the author of Asking About Asking, Mastering the Art of Conversational Fundraising. Uh, He will be here with us on page two. You can dial in to 347-324-3080. Uh, and uh, uh, make sure that you press the number one button on your keypad to raise your hand on the switchboard to let me know that you do, in fact, want to ask a question. Today you also can join us over in the chat room uh, if you would like, and uh, I can see some folks over in the chat room today. You can also ask questions by sending me an email at tedhart at tedhart.com. It's a pleasure to be back here on The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, last week, as our listeners know, uh, I did take the week off uh, to celebrate a wonderful birthday uh, down in Key West with friends. It was great weather. They literally had to pry my hands off from uh, the airport door to uh, have me leave Key West. But I am here live from the nation's uh, capital. It is a beautiful spring day here. And as always, on The Nonprofit Coach, we always start with Page One News. <laughs> First up here on page one news here on the nonprofit coach. Remember, you can follow along with today's radio links by going to tedhart.com and click on radio. First up here in the radio links today comes to us from the Philanthropy Journal. I think that for a lot of us, this will be very interesting uh, research that seems to suggest 
that cause-related marketing may be reducing giving. Let me explain a little bit. This is a study uh, by Adriana Krishna, a professor of marketing at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, that shows that consumers who buy cause-related products end up giving less money to a social cause or charity. So you definitely want to read all about this, delve into it, see if this is uh, representative of some of the work that you might be doing in cause-related marketing. But it is growing, and I think it's important that we be aware of uh, these sorts of reports and whether or not we think that they are relevant. The study will be published in the July issue of the Journal of Consumer Psychology. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, over in the radio links at tedhart.com, click on radio, you will find an article uh, that comes to us from Forbes magazine. Uh, Forbes uh, is reporting a massive identity theft of charity information, uh, and what they're saying is this is with the help of the IRS. Well, I don't think knowingly from, uh, from the IRS, but someone has hijacked the tax identity of more than 2,300 small or defunct nonprofit organizations apparently taking advantage of a hole in the new electronic internal revenue service filing system to list the same person as a charity official at the same mailbox in Las Vegas. Uh, so this is, of course, a, a concern because uh, these are either very small organizations that don't have staff to uh, necessarily be staying on top of these things or defunct organizations that uh, uh, someone may be trying to steal those identities. But this raises a very important issue for all of our listeners today, and that is the issue of 990 filings, IRS tax status, and charitable solicitation tax status. I spent a fair amount of time in uh, my lectures on these topics. None of this is new, but it does seem to be news to a lot of audiences. So I do want to draw your attention to making sure that you check with whoever in your organization is responsible for the filing of your 990, that in fact the information that is provided to the IRS is updated and current. And while you're at it, go ahead and check in on your charitable solicitation status, which oftentimes is a concern because very few organizations um, and audiences that I speak to necessarily understand the extent to the number of states in the United States that you may be required to register. There are 40 states in the United States that require charities to register with those states if you are soliciting charitable gifts. And this is not uh, your tax-exempt status. This is your ability to solicit charitable gifts in those states. Um, so check it out. Read this article. This is, of course, a concern for those charities that are involved, but a great opportunity for all of us to make sure that we are apprised of our charitable tax status and our charitable solicitation tax status in our organizations. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, I do want to uh, just remind all of our listeners today that we have a terrific page two expert today. Kent Stroman will be with us today. Uh, he is an author of Asking About Asking, and you can call in today at 347-324-3080. Uh, Mr. Stroman will be taking questions today, so if you do call in, make sure you press the number one to raise your hand on the switchboard. Otherwise, I'll just assume you're just using the switchboard to call in, which is also an option. You can also ask questions over in the chat room or email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. 
Next up here on page one news uh, comes to us from one of our favorite websites, and that's Mashable.com. Over on Mashable.com, over in the radio links today at TedHart.com, click on radio, uh, you will find eight ways to improve your live event with social media. Uh, this is really a very well done uh, article uh, provided by Clay McDaniel. Uh, and here are some of his tips. One, establish your event-related channels. Where will you uh, be promoting? And some of those things certainly should include uh, Facebook and a, an event hashtag on Twitter. We've discussed the power of hashtags here on this show. I can't go into it today, uh, but suffice it to say that event hashtags can be very important to a well-run event, particularly a larger event. Uh, number two is to provide incentivized word-of-mouth promotions, uh, taking a look at ways that you can incent people uh, by inviting them to pre-event parties or other rewards, early bird discounts, or other things that you might be able to do that someone might be interested uh, in forwarding that to their friends. Uh, don't forget to use social registration services. Uh, number three is to make your registration social. Uh, we are big fans of a service called Eventbrite here at uh, the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, so check out Eventbrite. They not only make registration earlier, easier, and more streamlined, but they also uh, provide you with many tools that allow you to uh, use social media with your registrations. Number four is to use location-based services and check-in rewards. Uh, next is to bring your event alive with Twitter, uh, to think about having uh, Twitter feeds streaming into your organization uh, to, uh, to add more excitement to the program. Uh, and of course, that sort of uh, content uh, allows you to also point to that after the event as well. Include non-attendees uh, uh, for such as uh, to set up a live stream using the event, uh, using Facebook or Ustream, so that event so that fans can follow you online even if they're not able to attend. Number seven is after the event, extend the shelf life of your event again using social media, uh, giving people the opportunity to maybe receive presentations, photos, key learnings, downloadable documents. Uh, again, what you're trying to do here is build affinity and to make your event much more social. Uh, and the last suggestion here that comes from this terrific uh, article that you can find at tedhart.com, click on radio, you'll find the radio links. And number eight here is to use social media metrics to measure your success, uh, to, uh, uh, to measure your success on Twitter, on uh, uh, using Google uh, uh, Analytics uh, for traffic to your website, uh, and even to set up Google Alerts ahead of time to see what sort of traffic uh, you are generating with your event. So terrific article. Uh, uh, bravo to Clay McDaniel and the folks over at Mashable uh, for uh, drawing attention to using uh, social media uh, for your live events. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is just to draw your attention to how well we're doing uh, over on LinkedIn. As you know, we host uh, the group over on LinkedIn called People to People Fundraising. In our newsletter at p2pfundraising.org, and you can click on archives, uh, you also can find that at tedhart.com just by clicking on newsletter. You will always find an update on how many people have registered to be part of this terrific LinkedIn group. And as of today, we hit 1,000 
110 members to that group. So bravo to everybody who has joined that LinkedIn group and adds content and discussion. Uh, and of course, one of the big benefits is also uh, having access to the list of members in terms of who are those uh, colleagues of yours around the world who not only listen here to the nonprofit coach, uh, but also rely on each other for content and information. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach over at Radio Links over at tedhart.com, uh, you will also find a very interesting article. This comes to us from another of our favorite sites, Social Media Today. Uh, but I just found this interesting, and I, and I put this into the Radio Links today uh, because uh, there's a gentleman over there, uh, Rowan J. Miller, who is sort of having a bit of a fit, I think. Uh, and the title of his article, as you'll find, is Stop, It's Not Social Media, It's Social Networks. He's trying to uh, get everybody to stop saying social media. Uh, and we need, as he says, we need to start over and call this new thing by its proper name, which is social networks. Now, I find that awfully interesting because he posts this uh, call for social networks on the the uh, uh, the online newsletter called Social Media Today. Uh, so uh, trying to get uh, to say something like that seems to me uh, to be uh, akin to an atheist walking into a Christian church saying, you know, follow me, there is no God. Um, and uh, so I, I'm not quite sure how much uh, traffic he's going to get, but maybe he's posting this to try to just get people riled up a little bit. I'm not sure it really matters, social media, social networks, uh, we do refer to it uh, typically as social media, and that tends to be uh, the convention. Uh, for our purposes of success online, I don't think it matters. It depends on what your strategy is and how successful you are being in using that. So we try here on the Nonprofit Coach to provide you uh, with expertise and concrete tips uh, that you can use uh, to help advance the cause of your organization. Next up here on the radio links uh, at tedhart.com, uh, this comes to us from editorsweblog.org. Uh, this is a publication of the World Editors Forum. I thought this was very interesting uh, because uh, the Associated Press has announced that it is expanding its project that aims to distribute content from nonprofit news organizations to newspapers. The agency announced that it is uh, in a press release that a project that was started in 2009, uh, but newspapers have been slow to make use of the nonprofit stories. And what they're trying to do is to jumpstart that with their Neiman Journalism Lab. Um, and so read all about that and see how you can plug into this effort on the part of the Associated Press to help you get your news into actually uh, mainstream news media. The next thing that we have here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach is, uh, you know, I, I think you have to be living under a rock not to know that uh, uh, President Obama uh, announced some really astounding news for every American and every free-loving person anywhere in the world, uh, and that is that uh, Osama bin Laden has left this planet. Uh, and that is good news for everyone who cares about freedom. Well, we've put over in the radio link today an opportunity for you over on Facebook to sign a petition 
expressing your thanks uh, to the military personnel for a job well done that Osama bin Laden is now dead. Uh, and this comes to us from an organization that we have continued to follow, and that is the My Good Deeds organization, the 9-11 nonprofit that helped to permanently establish September 11 uh, as a national day of service and re remembrance under federal law, urging others to sign this petition. So add your name, add your support. They're seeking 100,000 signatures. Uh, that they hope to be able to present uh, to the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon and to Congress in July. So we've got time. Let's make this viral. Let's make sure that those who worked so hard uh, to take down this very evil man, uh, that, that they know that they have our gratitude and thanks. So please uh, forward that along. You will find that link over at tedhart.com. Uh, and you'll be able to click on the radio links to get uh, that information. Just a reminder that as we start moving towards page two today, uh, we do have our uh, page two expert uh, with us, uh, and you will be able to dial in to 347-324-3080 to ask a question. You can also join the folks over in the chat room or email me uh, over at tedhart at tedhart.com. Uh, last up here on page one news comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Uh, and this is, uh, comes to us from Derek Liu, uh, who has written a really terrific article on online fundraising strategies that beat the bad economy. Uh, and these are specific uh, organizations, uh, and I'm going to highlight those for you here, the Texas Children's Hospital, the Nature Conservancy, Partners in Health, uh, and the Christian Foundation for Children and Aging, uh, each receive a shout-out in this article for specifically using online social media uh, as a way for them to expand their ability to reach larger audiences and to raise money. So these are some really terrific opportunities uh, for you to learn from uh, some very successful online fundraisers. Now, the survey uh, that this is based on from the new Chronicle of uh, Philanthropy survey found that 137 of the nation's largest charities raised $808 million online in, in 2010 and $942 million counting donations that were made specifically to the Haiti earthquake. And that's compared uh, to $523 million raised by that same group in 2009. So that's a huge jump. And we do anticipate when we release our estimate of online giving uh, in June, as we typically do, that there was a huge increase in online giving, and we see that from the Chronicle survey, we see that from the Blackbaud survey, and others that we have shared with you here on the nonprofit coach, that online giving continues to be the fastest growing form of philanthropy anywhere in the world. Uh, that's what this show is all about, the nonprofit coach, to help you be successful. And with that, we wrap up page one news, and that gives me the opportunity to now welcome you uh, to page two. My pleasure to welcome here to the nonprofit coach Kent Stroman, CFRE. Kent teaches passionately, uh, consults wisely, and writes creatively, speaks inspirationally, sorry about that, Kent, and helps willingly. He is a certified fundraising executive, and that matters. 
who counsels uh, those who need his assistance. He is also author of Asking About Asking, Mastering the Art of Conversational Fundraising. Uh, he is an expert in this area. He loves learning, reading, traveling, singing, cooking, eating, and fun. And he is today here live on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us here, uh, Kent Stroman. Thank you. Good morning, Ted. It is great to uh, have you here on uh, on the nonprofit coach, and of course, this is uh, a terrific opportunity for us to uh, chat with you and to also learn a little bit about uh, the new charity channel press. Um, so, I was wondering if we might start off there uh, by talking about your involvement with charity channel press, what that is, uh, and uh, and then we'll get into the book and the work that you do with your clients. Well, thank you, Ted. Um, Charity Channel Press is a division of Charity Channel, which is, I I believe, the world's largest online uh, network of uh, professionals and not-for-profit organizations. And uh, Charity Channel Press recently uh, began uh, publications. The first series is called In the Trenches, and my book is one of the first three in that series. Um, The other two books are uh, written by friends of mine. Uh, The first one is Fundraising as a Career with the subtitle, What? Are You Crazy? by Linda Lysikowski. And uh, then the the second book in the series is called 50 Asks in 50 Weeks by Amy Eisenstein. And um, uh, these, as well as um, my book, Asking About Asking, are intended to uh, be very much... um, down-to-earth, practical, usable, uh, valuable uh, resource of information for people who are working in the uh, philanthropic field. And and uh, it, well, and Linda Lysakowski and uh, uh, is a uh, friend of this show as well, and it's great to know that she's uh, part of uh, the series. Uh, now, the subtitle to your book is "Mastering the Art of Conversational Fundraising." I, I always wonder when there's a subtitle of that sort. It's uh, conversational fundraising as opposed to what kind of fundraising? Well, I would say the primary contrast is confrontational fundraising. And uh, those who have been involved with fundraising, whether seeking funds or being approached for it, I think understand what I mean by confrontation, Uh, not necessarily a friendly or an enjoyable exchange. And uh, the parties who are involved are just glad when it's over. And by contrast, (laughs) with conversational fundraising, uh, the idea is is for it to be uh, comfortable, friendly, productive, and uh, enjoyable for everybody who is involved. And and why would an organization uh use uh confrontational fundraising? Is that is that just lack of training, lack of knowledge in what your book tries to do is uh to bring out the better practices for those who maybe are sort of the the, the unknowing or new to the field? Well, part of it is lack of knowledge, but I would say the other part of it is actually um the the presence of the wrong kind of knowledge. And it's interesting to me um, as I watch and listen and, and ask people about their own involvement in fundraising, uh, many times there's a negative reaction. And like I say, it often comes from uh, what somebody has experienced that was contrary to conversational. And I think uh, a lot of times we think about walking down the, the, the uh, busy street 
somebody, a disheveled person walking up with a tin cup in one hand and a uh, cardboard sign in the other that says, um, need help. And we think about that as a fundraiser. And so uh, when we say, we, we want you to help raise money, that image comes to mind, and we think, well, who would volunteer for that? Uh, but again... And, and it is interesting to me uh, for fundraisers who, uh, I'm not quite sure, and I want to get into your book because I think that your book seeks to answer this question, uh, where there is sort of a, a bit of a view that, that, that it is almost sort of professional begging. Um, and uh, in my, you know, my experience and all my training on fundraising is it's far from that. Uh, because it's much more based on relationships and helping people make important things happen uh, with their money. Uh, but where where does that where does that training come from, or uh, is that just getting the right mentor, buying the right book, understanding uh, the correct approach to fundraising? Uh, because of course, you know, confrontational fundraising isn't pleasant for anyone. Right, and you know, the other thing that I would. Uh use as a contrast, and you touched already on the idea of relationship-based, and uh, that, that's uh, very much the foundation that we build on in the book, and, and using that in contrast to transactional fundraising. And, um, you know, there are lots of, of organizations that do their fundraising with product. There's some kind of an exchange that takes place, and uh, maybe you've experienced this, Ted. You're at the dinner table. The, phone, the uh, doorbell rings. And you go to the door, and there's a cute little kid standing there with a sign-up sheet in one hand and an envelope in the other, and they're selling gummy bears, uh, chocolate candy bars, or overpriced wrapping paper. Um, There's really no relationship that's involved. It's kind of an obligatory thing, and the unspoken message is, if you give me money, I'll go away. (laughs) Yeah, and, uh, and 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 that even translates over to uh, I think a misconception on the part of a lot of uh, 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 philanthropy officers uh, for things like direct mail and phone campaigns and things of that sort, where uh, we often base those programs on what I call go away money, uh, yeah. small gifts just to get get you to go away, which is not a substitute for a relationship, is not a substitute. Uh, for uh, building a long-term prospect. So what's the difference about asking uh, about asking uh, and understanding um, you know, this concept in your book? Well, one of the things that we build on significantly is the contrast between an e- event versus a journey. And we illustrate that with, uh, with what I call the 10-step staircase. And um, on that staircase, step number 10 is asking for a gift. But there are nine steps that we need to go through before we're in a position where we're really ready to ask or where the prospective donor is ready to be asked. And so, again, our our focus is uh, that that we want to be very deliberate, intentional, and uh, patient in climbing that staircase, uh, climbing each of those nine steps rather than uh, trying to overlook those and go directly to asking for a contribution. Um, and Kent, as a, as a seasoned fundraiser would know, those nine steps can take a long time. It can take weeks, months, or years, uh, or it can happen in a relatively short period of time. Uh, what's step one of the nine steps? Well, step number one is getting acquainted. And uh, depending on the relationship, that may be uh, have already taken place. Um, but oftentimes, 
uh, one, one of the most common obstacles that uh, I encounter with the people that I work with uh, to effective one-on-one -on -one gift solicitation, they say, um, you know, how do we get to know the, the prospect? How do we get acquainted? And so we, we talk about that process. Uh, number one, how important it is to, uh, to begin a relationship, uh, to get introduced, and have enough familiarity that we have uh, something to build on as we go to step number two, which is an introduction to the uh, charitable organization or the particular project that's involved. Right. And and as we work through the latter today, um, I want to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, there are many different ways to engage uh, people uh, in, in helping us uh, with uh, uh, with their fundraising and their fundraising interest uh, in uh, in the organization, um, do these steps work? Whether it's special event, if it's direct mail, or or are these steps really focused on moving people along a path to major gift support? Well, they're they are uh, especially targeted towards somebody who's going to make a contribution that is significant for them as opposed to what we were talking about earlier, the go-away money. But certainly all of the principles that we're talking about would be relevant and applicable regardless of the, uh, of the approach or the focus or even the, the size of gift. Uh, but when okay, we're so for about our listeners today, these, these are step-by-step -step, uh, uh, efforts that can be used in all sorts of fundraising, from annual giving to special events to major gifts or even planned gifts. Exactly. And, you know, the thing that I would uh, mention, Ted, is while our conversation, and, and certainly the book, hones in on the topic of fundraising, um, really what we're talking about here is applicable to any kind of what I call high-stakes asking. Um, and a lot of times we, we think about the, uh, uh, the, the, the marriage proposal. Very few people who I know that are married uh, showed up, met each other the first time, and said, "Hi, I'm Kent. How about we get married?" Um, and and in the same fashion that there's a relationship and a process and a sequence um, in that, uh, very much is relevant to the uh, fundraising process. And like I said, other high stakes asks. So Kent, you show up and uh, you've gotten acquainted. You you've uh, you have an introduction. What comes next? Um, step number three is asking about giving. And here we're not asking about a gift to our organization, but we're asking the prospect about their practice of giving. Uh, one of the questions that I love to ask and uh, to gain insight into what motivates a person is just to ask them, where did you learn to be generous? Um, or, or how did you get involved in charitable giving? And uh, again, well, and I think that's one of the the real uh, uh, wonderful secrets about your book and why I think this book is a, is a must-read for each of our listeners, uh, and that is because it really does put an emphasis on asking questions, which really is an, uh, a very strong tool in building relationships of any kind. So in this, in this regard, asking about giving is seeking to build rapport. Exactly, and to get insight. Um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of times, people will will approach me and they say, "How do you how do you know how to approach a donor, or when is the right time, or what's the right amount to ask for?" And my response in each one of those is to ask them. Um, um, you know, our step number four, in fact, is asking about purpose. Uh, 
And um, it, it's one thing as fundraisers for us to know what the objectives of a campaign may be, whether it's an annual fund campaign, an endowment campaign, or, or a, a building campaign. But um, more important than that, when it comes to the individual level, I want to ask a donor, what would you like your gift to accomplish? Um, my answer And that's what you matter. mean by purpose is – is uh, because it, it seems to me that if you're asking about giving, so you're asking sort of about that historical or what, what you think about giving, or what you're really you're trying to find is is this person charitable uh, at all? Is that part of who they are? Uh, and then the next step is this ask about purpose, and I'm I'm scratching my head a little bit about uh, that. Is that now turning the corner to understanding about the organization, or is that understanding about their interest in what they would like to accomplish with their money. You know, it really can address both of those, Ted. Um, but my experience is when I ask um, a, a person, what would you like uh, your gift to accomplish, they may take it in a direction of being kind of the general, um, I want to help end world hunger, um, or it may be very specific, where they say, um, I, I know that 18% uh, of the children in our community are on uh, uh, reduced uh, feed lunches, and I want to help them be able to go to bed um, without wondering where the next meal is coming from. Um, so, Ken, at this stage, is it, is it asking them uh, in general what they, what they would like to accomplish, or is it now specific about your organization? Usually it starts with the general and then moves to the specific. Um, so, uh, again, using the example that we said, uh, somebody who wants to uh, stamp out world hunger, if, if we're talking about a campaign for the local food bank, um, then I'll, I'll introduce the idea um, at the appropriate time, how can you see your gift um, making a, uh, it, its biggest impact through this effort? And sometimes so what is, uh, what is step five? What is step five and how does that relate? Step five is asking about form, and that's the form of the gift. And as you know, Ted, a very small percentage of um, Americans' wealth is held in cash. Um, lots and lots of other ways to give besides outright gifts of cash. And uh, this introduces the donor to some of those other ones and explores their openness to considering a gift of stock, bonds, real estate, intellectual property, um, or even some of the more sophisticated forms, uh, charitable gift annuity or, or a trust of some kind. This is an opportunity to introduce other forms of giving, whether it might be uh, special events, participating in an auction, uh, online giving, or as, as you mentioned, uh, and, and I often uh, will raise the, the issue that uh, generally the worst uh, tax-wise way to make a contribution to a charity is to actually write a check. Uh, that there are so many provisions of the tax code that can benefit your donors uh, if you help introduce them. Uh, to ways to use assets such as uh, appreciated stock or property or some of the issues that you're raising here. So it does seem that in, between steps four and five, you have turned the corner to specifics about the charity at this point in building this rapport and building this relationship. And now that you've introduced uh, sort of the project or the, the interest that you have, uh, you're trying to ascertain assets. Yes. 
And <clears throat> oftentimes what we find is, is what the donor views as a problem asset or a problem property is something that actually is a tremendous solution when examined under the lens of charitable giving. And, uh, and, and somebody doesn't have to be a, you know, a plan giving or a state planning expert in this field. Um, but again, it's a, the idea is to open a conversation about what uh, should we be thinking or looking at something other than cash. And if the answer is yes, then uh, bring the right resources to the table to address those, uh, those questions and needs. And, and Kent, it does seem that when when you're you're talking specifically about those assets, you are really focusing um, this step by step process, moving from four to five. You're really looking for those major gifts, which of course we want to help our listeners be able to attain those those uh, those larger gifts. But this could also be the point at which you're offering opportunities, as opposed to necessarily having a dialogue. It may be that you're offering opportunities, uh, such as online giving or bidding in an auction or going to an event or in other words, all the various tools that are available, this is the step at which you're looking at the various options, which might include a dialogue along around assets. Certainly could be. Okay, great. Well, Kent, we're going to take a little bit of a, of a break here um, just to uh, have a word from uh, one of our sponsors, uh, and then we'll be right back. And when we come back, I do want to jump right into uh, what is step six. Okay. My pleasure to uh, today to welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show a brand new sponsor, and today our sponsor is Geronimo.com. It's my pleasure to introduce you to this totally new concept for nonprofit organizations. Geronimo links your organization to the highest quality vacation rentals in the world. It's simple. Your donors book one of the vacation rentals that Geronimo provides free of charge. Yes, free of charge. The owner then donates 50% or all of the rent to the organization. If silent auctions have been successful for you, you're going to love Geronimo. And, of course, many times here on the Nonprofit Coach, we have talked about the power of auctions, and this is a terrific new tool. So start turning spare weeks into big donations. All you do is ask your donors to book their next vacation at Geronimo.com. All vacation rental owners that have posted to Geronimo.com have agreed already to donate at least half of the rent to charities. What a great concept. Spare weeks and big money for you. Visit Geronimo.com to learn how you can unlock big donations. Please ask also about private label solutions that feature your logo and your look and feel. This is a terrific new service, and we're very, very pleased uh, to have here on the Nonprofit Coach an opportunity to bring such a creative new way uh, for you to raise money for your organization. Today being the first day of Geronimo joining us as a sponsor here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, it is my pleasure uh, today to welcome uh, Mike McFadden uh, here to the Nonprofit Coach who is uh, with uh, Geronimo. Mike, are you with us? I am. Thanks for having me. 
Mike, thank you so much for joining us, and we really appreciate having you here uh, as a sponsor of, of the nonprofit coach. But I'm really keen to understand for our listeners where did this concept come from? Because charities often are at a loss for how to find uh, great auction items like this, and here you are creating that opportunity right from get go. Yeah. Um... Ted, I've been in the vacation rental industry for uh, a little over five years, and we've actually had homeowners contact us and say, hey, we want to give our spare weeks. We have extra weeks at our vacation home. We don't really know how to give it effectively. Um, and it's it kind of came out of the inefficiencies with charities having to ask an owner. They have to go back and look at their calendar, then come back, and there's this back and forth. And so we built this platform to say, hey, owners, you pick the weeks now and you pick the rates and then donate either half of it or 100% of it and let the traveler choose the charity or if they want to choose the charity, they can. So it kind of gives the... There's got to be such a big benefit for charities who, of course, want to raise the money, need products of these sort for auctions but are not in the property management business. And so they're trying to work with a donor who has a piece of property, and now you're an expert that can work both with the donor and with the charity, sort of doing that translation between the two. Exactly. And then the, the biggest benefit for the owners, we have all of their, I'll call it the digital assets. We have their pictures. We have the description. We have the dates, what it looks like to check in, to check out all the little nuances that went a charity goes to um, to create this experience, you're not necessarily thinking about all those things. So now we've got that all for them. Well, it is really a pleasure to have you folks here. It's wonderful to uh, not only have you as a sponsor of the Nonprofit Coach, but more importantly uh, for our listeners to bring such a smart tool. And I'm just wondering, uh, Mike, uh, if, uh, if something like this is born out of a down economy uh, where there is additional opportunities uh, for people to share with charities uh, their, their rental property and simply don't know who to donate that to. Absolutely. And it cut the, the other, in addition on the down economy, is there's a lot more vacant nights in these homes. So someone looks at their calendar and says, I have all of July open. I might as well at least let three weeks of that go to charity if someone's going to book it for a charity. And we make that Well, Mike, I checked out Geronimo.com just before the show started today, and you've got some great properties there, some really terrific opportunities for charities to work directly with you to raise money for the charity. And you've already done the work for them uh, by getting the donation that's sitting right there just waiting for the next charity uh, to provide that auction opportunity. Uh, anything else you want to share with our listeners today as uh, they all uh, go to tedhart.com, uh, click on the radio links where they're able to uh, go directly to uh, the link for geronimo.com. Or, of course, they can type into any browser, geronimo.com. Right. The only last thing is it's not just for auction. So you can send it out to any supporter in any time of the year they can book it. So it's really to augment some of the fundraising at the major events because at an event you can only have four, five, six items. You might have 20 items, but now you can have your supporters book any time of the year any one of these homes and that money goes back to them. 
Wow. So that, that sort of expands the field. So you may have an event, and you can work with Geronimo.com to add these opportunities to your auction, but you could also include this in your outbound email. You could include this in your newsletter. This could become an opportunity for your supporters and your donors to use Geronimo.com to enhance their giving to their favorite charity. And that's really where the big value comes in is that in an event, you can only sell so many tickets, but how many how many charities have two or three events a year might fill 1,000 or 2,000 seats but have 20,000 supporters. And so if those 20,000 supporters are taking vacations, now we can leverage and actually raise real big money for these charities. And that's that's really the core of our our being and, and why we're doing what we're doing. Mike, as we wrap up and head back over to uh, page two with our page two expert today, Kent Stroman, um, what's uh, the average gift so far on, uh, on uh, Geronimo.com or what, uh, what's a reasonable expectation for a charity and the kind of money they might be able to make? So we just launched, we're just getting our first bookings in, and they range from you know $1,000 a week. Uh, in some of the silent and live auctions we've done before we launched the website, it was up to you know, anywhere from five to $10,000 bookings. And so when you split that, it's depending on the owner, but you are looking at gifts anywhere from, you know, two, $300 to, you know, several thousands of dollars per vacation booked. That's terrific. Well, and, and of course, a, a very easy way for uh, charities to now enhance and make their own activities even more exciting by having uh, all of these auction opportunities. It just makes them look like they were out there soliciting all over the world, and now here they are with Geronimo able to offer great vacation opportunities at very exclusive homes uh, that they would probably never on their own have access to. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for becoming a sponsor here on the Nonprofit Coach. We're going to head back over uh, to Page 2 Expert. Kent, just to re, uh, remind our listeners that uh, uh, in the step-by-step process that you share in asking about asking, the first step is uh, to get acquainted, followed by uh, an introduction uh, to the uh, organization itself. Then this concept of asking about giving, which I love this opportunity to build rapport and get an idea to learn more about uh, your sponsor, sort of turning that corner to the charity itself now that you know that you're talking to someone who is charitable uh, now what you're looking for is to introduce them and to find out what they might like to accomplish with their money just before the break you shared with us that step five was starting to introduce the various concepts or opportunities uh, for people to give what is step six step six ted is asking about amount and in my experience, this is uh, perhaps the uh, one the step that has the greatest apprehension on the part of all people who are involved. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, rather than uh, showing up and saying we've decided that your gift to this project should be half a million dollars, um, it's at this point that we want to ask them where they see themselves fitting into the overall scheme of funding uh, project. And so, often the 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 question will be posed something like this, uh, Ted, at the appropriate time, where would you see yourself on the gift chart for a project such as this? 
And uh, the, the gift chart, which we're using at that point, gives a context. It helps the donor understand the number and size of gifts uh, that will necessarily be involved in order to accomplish the goal or, or the purpose. Um, and it also allows them to place themselves in the uh, conversation at a point that uh, that makes sense for them, their circumstances, and their own passion for the uh, the charitable organization or the campaign or project that's underway. So again, this this is uh, this is focused on you know sort of uh, major gift capital campaign fundraising, but in introducing or uh, seeking information about levels of giving, that could also be suggested levels in an annual campaign, or uh, for instance, as we were just talking about, uh, different auction items. So again, it's you know where do you fit within this this scheme that we've developed, uh, whatever that program might be, whether it's annual giving uh, or as we're talking about here. Uh, sort of a, a, a range or chart of giving that might be part of a capital campaign. Exactly. And uh, one of the really valuable parts of this is I love to ask people about what range of gift that we should be talking about. And then as they respond to that, usually they'll give a, a high and a low. Um, then, then the conversation can go even deeper when we ask, uh, how will you decide between those two amounts? Um, and, again, this is very much about the donor. Um, as we listen to the response, we're finding out what's important to them, what they like, what they don't like, um, how they'll go about um, making their their decision, and uh, whether, in, in terms of the amount, uh, whether this is something that uh, should require a large amount of time and attention on our part and theirs, or whether the scale of gift that they're thinking is one that would suggest uh, that, that we um, maybe uh, scale it back and ad address it at a at a lower level or at a later time. And, and of course, this does, as your book points out, this does require this to be conversational. This is uh, and also takes a fair amount of confidence to be able to sort of guide a conversation in this direction, uh, so that you don't appear to just have a checklist and say, you know, <laughs> fill in the blank, tell me what you're going to give. This is this is all part of a dialogue and sort of a, the rapport that you build with a donor, as opposed to an interrogation. Absolutely, and and as we mentioned earlier, it's relationship based. Um, high trust, high sincerity. Uh, there's a, a genuineness factor that, um, if, if we're to be effective in this kind of work, um, it, it has to be built on trust and integrity and, and confidence mutually. So that brings us to number seven. What is number seven? Uh, step seven is asking about timing. And uh, there are two aspects to timing. Uh, one is when the gift will be made. That's not the question that we're raising here, but it's rather when the gift decision will be made, and we're inquiring what is the best time for them to decide on something as important as a commitment to fund um, Project X. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, um, uh, and it, it it really ties into um, another step that we'll uh, touch on a little bit later. But oftentimes we show up with the idea that, you know, I need a decision, I need it right now. And uh, when we take that approach, it's going to diminish two things. Number one, it's going to diminish the amount of the gift. Secondly, it's going to erode the uh, strength of the relationship. And so by asking about timing, uh, we find out what are the factors that affect their world 
and how or if those intersect with time considerations for our philanthropic organization and the project that we're working on. And that really is a, an important skill for fundraisers uh, to learn in terms of uh, the timing because it, it is and often does end up being uh, sort of a finessing of that relationship uh, as opposed to sort of, uh, again, almost doing it by rote, like it's we need this money, we need it now, as opposed to as part of the dialogue, part of the relationship, as you said, part of the conversation, learning what the donor would like to accomplish as opposed to the fact that you need money. Exactly. And, you know, a big contrast that we make uh, throughout the book is when we look at fundraising from the organizational standpoint, it's very much about the charity. But when it comes down to the micro and we're asking a particular donor, whether it's a, a business, a foundation, or an individual, uh, when we're asking for their gift, uh, we have to set aside the kind of the overlying uh, priorities and issues and pressures of the organization and make it very much about the funder. Um, and if you know if if what we have to have is is money right now, um, then we should be prepared to receive much much smaller gifts and have a, a shorter relationship uh, because people are not going to be likely to re-engage uh, when 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 they've been approached in the past on a basis that it's all about me, the charity, as opposed to focusing on them as the one who's funding the charity. And that would bring us to point or uh, step eight. On step number eight, Ted, we're asking about naming. And uh, this is an example that's specifically uh, related to um, to a major campaign. Or if we're involved in a special event, it may be asking about a sponsorship. Um, uh, would, would you like to see your company, your family name, uh, your, your uh, foundation um, on the list of named sponsors? Um, would the auditorium in the new uh, uh, Performing Arts Center uh, be something that you would want to consider naming? So forth. Again, it's just exploring that whole idea about uh, about uh, recognition, uh, donor recognition on a larger scale, and uh, how they may or may not be interested in exploring that further. Yeah, and, and again, I appreciate you, you know, sort of taking this concept and marrying it to different types of fundraising because not every uh, ask, not every relationship is going to lead to a true naming uh, opportunity that certainly would be capital campaign plan gift, major gift uh, types of, uh, of giving. Uh, however, in annual gifts, we often do create levels uh, or types of uh, giving clubs, uh, things of that sort. And I think that's where this uh, real strength in, uh, in, in your approach is, you know, when we're asking about naming, it not necessarily mean that you're having a conversation, but that you're thinking it, it, that far out to what is that, that recognition going to look like. Right, and and you know it's easy for us to think about the uh, you know naming the arena or what have you, but on the other end of the scale, um, just last weekend I attended the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon, uh, which was a race that involved 25,000 runners. My daughter was one of them. She ran uh, the half marathon. Every every one of those runners got a T-shirt. On the back of the T-shirt 
was just a whole laundry list of names of people or organizations that had sponsored the event. Um, some people would love to see their name on such a list. There are others that, for their own reasons, would uh, would prefer that not to happen at all. And so, again, the question about naming is one that, that uh, not only answers the specific question, but it gives us insight into the, uh, the, the psyche of the decision-maker and how they like to be um, uh, viewed in the marketplace, so to speak. That's terrific. And, and uh, the final step uh, in, in your nine-step process is what? Step number nine is asking about deciding. Um, who will decide? How will you decide on the uh, the ultimate proposal that we would like to submit on tep- step 10, which is the ask? And so when we ask about deciding, um, uh, we're getting feedback on, is this something that, that will be made individually? Uh, will this be a joint thing with a spouse, with a business partner, uh, a board of trustees, uh, <clears throat> perhaps an advisory board? Uh, sometimes an entire family will come together and, and make uh, charitable decisions uh, on behalf of the family resources. So um, in my experience, Ted, a lot of times um, we presume that we know and that the prospect knows how they're going to decide. And this is one of those areas that often uh, people haven't even thought about at all. How, and, and so by asking about it, it may begin a process in the prospect uh, to begin to define how they would make such a decision. Exactly. And and, in, and that's part of the relationship building. But is it also not true, uh, Kent, that our listeners should also keep in mind that, uh, particularly at the major gift level, and we have been you know, sort of giving people uh, tips on, on how this works in annual giving as well, but specifically in the major gift area, when you're talking to people who have the capacity to make gifts at that level, uh, you're, you're not typically going to be the first one who's asked them to dance. And right. so they're going to have had some experience, whether that was positive or negative uh, experience, in terms of how this should go. So there are some rules of the road that you've provided today that are not only good ideas, but are also pretty much going to be expected of someone who is going to be a savvy philanthropist. Exactly. So where does, I'm just wondering, um, in, in this process, or is it sort of a, uh, an honorary number 10, or, or where, where does stewardship and sort of uh, moving towards the next ask, sort of moving back okay. up to number one or number two, where, where do you turn that corner now that you have a seasoned donor? Right. Well, step number 10, like we mentioned, is asking, and then immediately be- behind that it comes an answer. And so um, at that point, we, what we really talk about is the, the skills and disciplines of listening and responding. What do we do if the answer is no? Uh, what do we do if the answer is yes? And so uh, then we do move in, like you said, into the whole stewardship process um, with thanking, ultimately asking the question about who else, um, clarifying uh, matters related to gift recognition, and then, actually, in the book, Chapter 32, and these are all very small chapters, but um, Chapter 32 is titled Asking About Asking Again. And it gives us an opportunity at the appropriate time to come back and, and reiterate our thanks for a, a gift or pledge that a donor's made and just to engage them in the conversation. Uh, wh- when would be the right time for us to uh, visit with you about uh, future gift opportunities? 
And I always like that phrase to to visit with you as opposed to ask you to you know to have a meeting with you uh but this is this is as if you were visiting a friend as if you were visiting uh, a colleague someone where uh because I, I just think that phrase visiting invites more of a conversation than an interrogation or a, a you know sort of a uh, as you said more of a a, a, con- a confrontational sort of meeting well that's for sure and and uh, you know we've talked a lot about uh pointing towards a, a financial gift, whether it's monetary or some other form. And uh, we view that as a precious resource. But what I've found is that there are two things that are even more valued than our possessions or our money, and that's one is time. Um, uh, many people feel like they have less time than they do money. And then the other is, is uh, other friendships and relationships. And so when we're involved in the asking process, oftentimes there is someone else uh, off who is not a staff, who is a, a volunteer, who is involved in the asking process. Um, that person, Ken, I'm going to jump in. I've had such a great time today. We've lost complete track of time, and we are now out of time. I'm going to listen. thank uh, Kent Stroman for joining us today. Thank our listeners for joining us today. Remind you that we will be right back here on the Nonprofit Coach next Tuesday, 12 noon Eastern, with Susan Hyatt talking about strategy for good. Kent, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sorry that uh, we didn't get a chance uh, to have a a little bit stronger wrap-up. But, uh, again, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. You're welcome, Ted. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.